that in just a little bit. So in order to get the context of why Jesus is telling this parable, we've got to back up a little bit. So we're going to start in verse 1. If you're using one of the Bibles in front of you, this is on page 888. We're going to start in verse 1 of Luke chapter 17, and the parables will come up in verses 7 through 10. Verse 1, he said to his disciples, I'm just going to stop there real quick. I think it's important to note that Jesus is telling this parable to his disciples, not to the mass crowds. So if you aren't a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, you're in on a family meeting, so to speak. It would be like if I invited you over to my house for dinner, and in the midst of dinner, I had to stop everything and deal with some parenting, some discipline. You may feel like, awkward, but you may also say, it's about time someone said something about that. I was wondering if you were going to do anything about what was happening. So that's kind of what's going on. And there's a word this morning for his disciples, and then there'll be a word for you later in the message. We just get to sit back and kind of listen. So verse 1, he said to his disciples, offenses will certainly come, but woe to the one they come through. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Yikes. Then for him to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and comes back to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, the Lord said, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted into the sea, and it will obey you. And here's the parable. Which one of you having a slave plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he comes in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat? Instead, will he not tell him, prepare something for me to eat, get ready and serve me while I eat and drink. Later, you can eat and drink. Does he thank that slave because he did what was commanded? In the same way, when you have done all that you were commanded, you should say, we are good for nothing slaves. We've only done our duty. Super positive message. (laughs) We are good for nothing slaves. Now, some of your versions may have unworthy or undeserving slaves. This word is used in another parable in Matthew chapter 25 to describe a servant. And the story there goes that this servant was given a specific amount of money. There was other servants that were given different amounts of money. And these servants were to go out and invest the money. The the other servants went out, they invested it, they they gained some uh, more from their investment from the master. And yet this one servant, he didn't want the master to be upset if he happened to lose everything that he gave him by investing it. So he buried it in the ground for safekeeping, hoping that the master would not be upset. Well, the master returned, and he was highly upset because this servant didn't even try to invest his money. I think the master was more pleased with an effort than with his money. He understood that with investment came risk, and he was okay with that. What he's saying to this servant is that you are lazy, you are an evil, and you are an unworthy or useless servant. And in that reference, they've tossed out into darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And that's an imagery of where we are away from God's presence. And we are filled with sadness and regret that we didn't even try to do what God told us to do. 
And I think that idea carries along in this parable. The servant doesn't sit on their hands. They don't sit on the gifts that God has given them. They don't sit on the investment. They, by faith, put those things into practice. And when you put things into practice, you will see reward and a good return. Now, there is a sense where this parable can make us feel guilty. But making us feel guilty is not the goal of this parable by Jesus. Guilt doesn't work as a great motivator long term. It can work as a motivator short term to get people to do what you want. But we don't want to scare people into heaven or scare people into action, so to speak. But we do have to be honest about truths about life, of sin and hell. We have to be honest about just because you become a Christian doesn't mean that your life is going to be easy. These hard truths about life should spur us to not a pattern of guilt and shame and, you know, I stink and woe is me, I never do anything right. That's not the point of this. The point of these parables is to cause us to act and to say, I need some correction. I need some redirection. It's not about guilt. It's about correction and redirection and going in the right path. For some of us who have been Christians for a while, we kind of like the feeling of guilt. I mean, just think about it. We know that we've been Christians for a while. We need that challenge And we want people to step on our toes. We want to be spurred on to do something more challenging. But for some reason, we equate guilt as a spiritual experience. And what I mean by that is we'll come and we'll hear a message maybe about marriage, and we'll say, you know, right, I need to treat my spouse better. Thank you for giving me something to think about, Pastor. Or we'll come and we'll hear a message and we say, you know what? I do need to go to that person that's not quite like me and I don't get along with them. I need to be nicer to them. Or maybe I need to go and meet my neighbor and invite them over. Thank you for that good thought. Something to think about this week, preacher. And we somehow, we just leave it there because we get this prodding by the Holy Spirit and we feel like, oh, the Holy Spirit is revealing something to me. Thank you for revealing that to me. And that's it. We stop there. And that was the point of the AHA series last spring, is there's, there's this awakening, there's this honesty, but there has to be action. Jesus ended his great sermon on the mount in Matthew chapter 5 through 7 with this same analogy. He said, there's going to be some of you who will listen to what I have to say, but you won't put it into action. You're like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand by the seashore. Then there'll be some of you who will hear what I'm saying, you'll go and put it into action, and you're like a wise man who will build his house on the rock. And I can say, I can see a hurricane coming, and I should do something to prepare my house. But until I actually go and get the wood, get the screws, get the necessary supplies, bring them back, measure things up, cut the wood, put them in place, is my house prepared before the hurricane comes? There needs to be some action. This parable is not meant to make us feel like we're a horrible person, that we're a horrible servant, but it's meant to spur us towards action. What kind of action is Jesus wanting us to be spurred towards? Let's get back to the parable. In verse 1, it said, offenses will certainly come. The word for offenses here carries the idea of being entrapped or we're triggering a trip stick, a a trap that uh, causes us to trip and stumble and maybe we fall into a hole, maybe a net captures us. There's something that causes us to trip and stumble and to be entangled in this mess. Jesus is saying there's going to become more and more people in your life that's going to sin against you. There's going to be more and more people in your life that will want you to sin against them. They'll tempt you to sin. 
So he says, watch out. Be on your guard. Be careful where you go and the people that you associate with. They could trip you up. And woe to the one that wants to stir up that trouble. Make sure you're not the one that is causing people to sin. Make sure you're not the one that creates this barrier where people can't even experience spiritual freedom. You could be that person. And it would be better if that person was taken completely out of the situation where there was a huge rock tied around their neck and they couldn't even get out of the ocean. That would be better for them. In verse 2, it says, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck. But that word if there is a probable if. It would be great if that could happen, but the probability of that happening is really, really small. You're not going to be able to to free yourself from people like this. They're going to be in your life all the time. So you've got to do something about that. And he says, if there are people like that, you need to go to them. You need to tell them about their sin. And if they repent, you forgive them. Forgiveness is a powerful, powerful tool. And if you've ever crossed the line, and all of us are sinners, so it should, I should say, when you have crossed the line, and you know that you need forgiveness, you know the tension that builds up inside of you when that person won't forgive you. And you also know the sense of relief that you feel when forgiveness is granted. King David, when in the Old Testament, when he realized his sin against Bathsheba, when he realized his sin against Bathsheba's husband, and when he realized his sin against God, he confessed that sin. And he describes that in Psalm 32 this way. How joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is the man the Lord does not charge with sin and whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer's heat. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you took away the guilt of my sin. There is great freedom in forgiveness. And Jesus is saying that you as my disciples need to be quick and ready to offer reconciliation. If someone has sinned against you, go to them. Don't just ignore the situation. Go to them. Call them out. And if they repent, forgive them. And even if they turn around and they do that same thing seven times in that one day and they come back to you and they apologize, they seek for repentance, you must forgive them. Now the question says, what if you do if you go to them and they don't acknowledge their sin and they don't see that they did anything wrong? Well, I think there's a process like that in Matthew chapter 18. That's not the point of the message, but you could turn to Matthew chapter 18. There's a process in there where you involve other witnesses, other witnesses, not just people you can get on your team so you can win the battle, but other witnesses. And the whole point of that process is the same thing as here. It's about reconciling the relationship. It's not so you could toot your horn and say, I knew I was right and you were wrong. And this can take some time. It can take even years. Because the point is on the relationship, not the wrong. And that's because our model for us is God and how he deals with us. God is willing to offer us forgiveness. 
And the moment that we see our sin as sin, and the moment that we know that Jesus Christ shed his blood on the cross for our sins, and we ask God to forgive us, that moment God gives us forgiveness immediately, in whole, without restrictions. But when we don't see our sin as sin, and when we don't see our need for Jesus in our lives, we continue to walk in that sin. We continue to walk in that darkness. Now, of course, this is a really hard thing to do if you think about it practically, to go to someone who has really offended you and to forgive them, especially if they keep doing it over and over. So the disciples say to Jesus, increase our faith. Give us more faith. We're not sure we're able to do this. We're going to have to pray about it. We're going to have to ask God to help us to do this because this is tough. So Jesus tells this illustration of the mustard seed and then this parable, what I'm calling the parable of the servant. servant. Jesus says, how much faith do you really think you need in order to do this? How much faith would, would you need? Would you need a little bit? Would you need a lot? How much more faith would you need? Because if you had faith as much as a tiniest seed known in our day, the mustard seed, if you had this much faith, you could do extraordinary things beyond your comprehension. If you just had a little bit of faith. And if you are my disciple, if you are my follower, you already have used faith. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. And by faith, you accepted my gift of salvation through my son, Jesus Christ. You were able to take that tiny little faith and wipe your life clean of sin before a perfect and holy and just God. How much more faith do you need? You have all the faith you need. So faith is not the problem. What is the problem? The problem is you're unwilling to apply that faith that you already have. You don't need more faith. What you need is more action. You don't need more information. You need more application. I think that's the point of this entire parable. A servant is commanded to serve, even though he's been serving all day long, because that's what servants do. You serve God, you offer forgiveness because he is your master, he is your Lord, and he told you to. He's not a cruel God because he freely offers forgiveness to you and he wants you in return to go and live that way. You're a servant of God. And the only difference between me and them and you and us is that we have applied the blood of Jesus on our lives. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Paul, the great apostle, says in 1 Corinthians 15.10, for by God's grace, I am what I am. The reason I am what I am is not because I'm special. It's because of God's grace. It's because of his goodness. It's because of God that we can love. It's because of God that we can know God, that we can serve God, that we can be used by God. None of us should think that we're somehow special than anybody else, that we can do anything good on our own efforts. And somehow we deserve a pat on the back and some recognition for what we've done. Some of us, we want to know how, we want people to understand how big we had to be to forgive that person. You know how big I had to be to forgive that person? Jesus Christ had to die on the cross for our sins. We weren't big. We couldn't do anything on our own. That's what makes us different. And that's what should make us different. Our lives should be 
filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. God doesn't want our lip service. He doesn't want our attendance. He wants our worship. He wants our action. Forgiven people, forgive people. Reached people, reach people. Connected people, connect people. We're servants of God. We serve. That's what we do. Geico Insurance Company has these commercials out. You may have seen them. The theme along this line is, if you're such and such, then you do such and such. That's just what you do. If you want to save 15% on car insurance, you call Geico. Well, I got a couple of these. Ian's going to show you a couple of these. These are kind of funny. Change the mood up a little bit. Guess what day it is? Hump day! Hump day! <laughs> it's hump day! Yeah. Hey, Mike! Mike, 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 Mike! Mike, 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 Mike! Guess what day it is? Hey, Guess what day it is? It's not even Wednesday. Let it go, Phil. If you're a camel, you put up with this all the time. It's what you do. If you want to save 15% or more on car insurance, you switch to Geico. It's what you do. Okay. One more. How's it progressing with the prisoner? He'll tell us everything he knows very shortly, sir. As you were. Where were we? 1970-14. Service! If your boss stops by, you act like you're working. It's what you do. If you want to save 15% or more on car insurance, you switch to Geico. It's what you do. Now, those are humans. So like, if your boss stops by, you act like you're working. That doesn't happen here. But the point is that you and I should be the first ones to offer compassions. We should be the first ones to offer forgiveness. We should be the first line of meeting the needs in the world because we're servants of God. That's what we do. Now, some of you know that my wife and I were foster parents and we've adopted a child and some say how awesome that is and we must be special people. My wife and I, we're not special people. She's awesome. I'm not. <laughs> but we just literally a few years ago, just said, we need to do something. And we just took a step forward to get involved in the foster system. And we adopted a, a son through that. But, and God has led us step by step through that journey. Has it been easy? No. Has our schedules got more complicated? Yes. Are there more packages and gifts, so to speak, to open up along the way? Yeah. We've got two more. And there's more to follow the point is, what, are, what is my wife and I going to do? Are we just going to look at our calendars and see if we can fit that in? Are we just going to take, take, take so we can be comfortable? So that one day when we die, we just leave it all behind? For what purpose? No, we, we just know that God has called us to take a step. And as servants of God, we just take that step. And we know we're not the only ones here at Hope Chapel. It's amazing to be a part of a community of people who have done this before us and who are doing it now. You're willing to step up and take kids in. You've stepped up to be a mentor in our youth. 
You've invited friends over to your house so they can build a relationship with them so you can introduce them to Jesus. You invited them to church. You've started a Bible study. You serve on our Kids Connect. You've offered forgiveness when other people say, that person does not deserve your forgiveness. How could you do such a thing? One of the other great things about this parable is that it says that one day we will eat and drink with the master. Some of us may feel like we've been serving and serving and serving, and we are tired of serving. Maybe you're saying, I've been serving for the last 20 years. It is time for somebody else to step up and serve. And I get that. There is times in our our life where we're serving, and maybe we've got to relax and kind of step back. But what God is saying in this is you're getting ready. You're in between serving in the field. You're getting ready. You're not just relaxing and changing your clothes and cleaning up. You're getting ready to serve again. I don't think we can ever stop serving. God is keeping you here on earth for a purpose. There's a reason, a service that God still wants you to be involved in. So don't give up. Don't stop serving. Take a break, but realize you're getting ready to serve again. And I think when we take those steps of faith in serving God, God will bless us. Just like the servant who was unwilling to invest his gifts, he didn't get to reap those returns and rewards. Jesus says in Luke chapter 18, I assure you, there is no one who has left a house, wife or brothers, parents or children, because of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more at this time and eternal life in the age to come. We will be blessed as we take steps of faith in serving God. We will be blessed as we take steps of faith in forgiving others. We will be blessed as we take steps in reconciling relationships. And not only that, we're going to be blessed as we eat and drink with a master in heaven for eternal life. I think that's a great retirement plan. And that's one that I encourage you to invest as much as you can in that plan. Now, those of you who don't have a relationship with God, I said that you're kind of listening in on a family conversation. And I thank you for listening this morning. I think I even saw some nods of agreement as we kind of trying to straighten out us Christians a little bit. But I want you to know that God has a message for you. And that message is God loves you. And that he wants you to be a part of this crazy family. None of us are perfect. We don't get it right. And yeah, we're hypocrites. That's why we're here. Because we realize that we need God in our lives. And maybe for you, there's something missing in your life. Maybe something's just not right. Maybe you're not even sure what a relationship with God even looks like. The thing I can tell you is that you don't have to have it all figured out. You're probably never going to have all the answers to all your questions. A lot of times we don't even know what God has in store. That's why it's called a step of faith. Faith is living in action without completely knowing what's going on. And maybe it's hard to describe what a relationship with God even looks like, but those who have accepted Jesus Christ, they talk about it as being a weight that's lifted off their shoulders. They sense this freedom and relief in their lives. And all you have to do is, one, admit that you're a sinner. Admit that you have sinned against God. Two, you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to earth to die on the cross for your sins. And three, you confess with your mouth that you are a sinner and that you're asking God for forgiveness. That's all you have to do. 
and God will take care of the rest. Those of us who, when we sin, what we do is we confess and ask God for forgiveness. That's what we do as a sinner. As disciples of Christ, we disciple. As servants of God, we serve. That's just what we do. Let's pray. God, we, we thank you that you have taken the time and talking with us in a manner that many of us may, we may need. We may need to be spurred with love towards action. And God, we know that you don't want to communicate how horrible we are as servants, but you want us to understand that uh, you offer forgiveness, you have been a part of our lives, and we should go out from that with that same attitude and that same action. Allow us not to walk away from here thinking about things that we should do, not just having good thoughts and good intentions, something to pray about that we would actually create an action plan to put into place. And by faith, we know that that is a humbling task. There may be times where we just have to humble ourselves and seek out somebody else. We thank you, God, for being involved in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.